Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, July 1st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... Tonight, I am signing a law to turn a page in Mississippi by retiring the flag that we have flown since 1894. The Mississippi flag is officially retired as Governor Tate Reeves signs the historic bill. Then, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman reflects on the role legislative leadership played in ushering in a moment of change. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, COVID-19 and recent episodes of police violence have revealed systemic disparities for black communities. Part two of our conversation with NAACP President Derek Johnson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's state flag adopted in 1894 and emblazoned with the Confederate battle emblem is officially retired. Governor Tate Reeves signed House Bill 1796 last night, which removes the current state flag and establishes a commission to design and present a new flag. Mississippi has faced increasing pressure in recent weeks to change its flag as national protests against racial injustice have been focused or have focused attention on Confederate symbols by a bipartisan vote on Sunday, lawmakers passed legislation to change the flag. Early in his address, Reeves emphasized the need for unity and a vision forward. He also spoke to those concerned that changing the flag would lead to stronger scrutiny of Confederate monuments and statues. I know there are people of goodwill who are not happy to see this flag change. They fear a chain reaction of events erasing our history, a history that is no doubt complicated and imperfect. I understand those concerns and am determined to protect Mississippi from that dangerous outcome. It is fashionable in some quarters to say our ancestors were all evil. I reject that notion. I also reject the elitist worldview that these United States are anything but the greatest nation in the history of mankind. I reject the mobs tearing down statues of our history, North and South, Union and Confederate, 
founding fathers, and veterans. I reject the chaos and lawlessness, and I am proud it has not happened in our state. I also understand the need to commit the 1894 flag to history and find a banner that is a better emblem for all Mississippi. There is a difference between monuments and flags. A monument acknowledges and honors our past. A flag is a symbol of our present, of our people, and of our future. For those reasons, we need a new symbol. During his nearly nine-minute speech, Reeves never directly addressed the history of violence and racist oppression associated with the Confederate battle emblem. This despite impassioned speeches from both chambers over the weekend reflecting on the image's history of such. Reeves, who campaigned on the promise of giving voters the decision to change the flag, did, however, explain why he changed his mind regarding the issue. I've long believed the better path towards reconciliation for our state would be for the people to retire this symbol on their own at the ballot box. And I believe we would have eventually chosen that outcome, a deliberate consensus by thoughtful people. I am not a man who likes to change his mind. But through prison riots, Easter tornadoes, a pandemic the likes of which we haven't seen in over 100 years, and now this flag fight, all in just a few short months, I have taken to replacing sleeping with praying, and I have prayed about this decision without ceasing. Our economy is on the edge of a cliff. Many lives depend on us cooperating and being careful to protect one another. I concluded our state has too much adversity to survive a bitter fight of brother against brother. We must work together to defeat the virus and the recession and not be focused on trying to defeat one another. So last week, as the legislature deadlocked, the fight intensified, and I looked down the barrel of months of more division, I knew that our path forward was to end this battle now. Standing behind the governor as he signed the bill was a small group of dignitaries, among them Reuben Anderson, who was the first African-American justice on the Mississippi Supreme Court, and Willie Simmons, a state transportation commissioner, who is the first African-American elected to that position. Also flanking the governor was legislative leadership, House Speaker Philip Gunn and Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. Angela Turner Ford is chair of the Legislative Black Caucus. She, too, was invited to the mansion for the historic moment. She tells our Desiree Frazier what was on her mind as the bill was signed into law. I thought about um, all that has transpired during the past week and a half to get us to this point. Um, it, it seems like things were moving so fast, and yet here we are. You know, the bill has been signed into law as of, as of this evening. But then my mind kind of went back as um, the governor was signing the bill, thinking about those people in the past who have filed bills to change the flag, you know, those who have stood for civil rights, and even going back further than that, you know, those who, who were oppressed under the conditions um, that have gone on here in the state of Mississippi. So there were just a lot of thoughts that were going through my mind at the time. Some um, um, legislators, black legislators, feel um, ignored, left out of the signing, who worked hard to get this legislation passed and have been on the forefront of the issue. Your thoughts? I certainly understand that sentiment. Um, I'm not sure when you say on the forefront 
of that issue. I know that various individuals have introduced bills. Certainly, this is just this was this is the governor's mansion. Invitations went forward as to who would be invited to attend the ceremony. I have no control over that, but I, I would say that as the chair of the Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus, I was there as a representative, and I did my best to serve in that capacity. Coming up, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman reflects on the role legislative leadership played in ushering in a moment of change. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In a three-week span, the issue of Mississippi's state flag went from non-starter to national spotlight in the days following the largest protest to descend upon the capital city since the civil rights movement. Momentum for lawmakers to take action on the flag swelled so much that when he wrapped the gavel to adjourn on Sunday, the emotion of the moment seeped from Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. He shares more about that moment and the buildup with our Michael Guidry. And you know how important something is to three million Mississippians, not just one part of Mississippi, but all Mississippians. When you know how important something is that will affect them and really get us with a flag for our future, I think that was part of it. Part of it was us thinking about my grandchildren, my grandchildren. Uh, I have seven grandchildren, three children, and thinking about who they work with and who they work for and who will be their friends and that kind of thing going forward. That, that was emotional. And the last one, so maybe a little unusual, but um, my great-great-grandfather um, fought at the Battle of Corinth, um, was a lieutenant in charge of a light artillery group and was um, and surrendered at Vicksburg. And uh, I have his handwritten letter to the President of the United States in July of 1865, and in it, he he asked for a full and complete pardon, and he asked um, apologized for his transgressions and asked to be restored to full citizenship. And and I I read that the other day, and I I thought about uh, my great grandfather, and I thought he'd be proud of Mississippi, and and maybe his grandson, a great grandson. I don't know about that, but I think he'd be proud of Mississippi. We have to have a heart and a soul in Mississippi. Uh, for all of us to progress together, and um, I think that vote showed that we do. This was an issue that took a suspension of the rules uh, because it was not uh, a high legislative priority at the beginning of the session. Can you kind of break down how that developed? I know that Speaker Gunn has been outspoken on this issue for a while, um, leadership in the Senate, um, at least the position of lieutenant governor, not necessarily saying you, but but leadership in the Senate up until this point did not seem to prioritize the issue of the flag. And in the absence of really vocal and strong leadership from the governorship, how did legislative leadership take up the mantle and decide that this was the time for change? Well, we we all, I think a lot of us wrestled with that. And when, when we started about three weeks ago, there were not sufficient votes uh, to have the change. Uh, we were all watching the um, horrible event in Minneapolis um, and the other other matters that had re- risen in, in our country. 
for a long time, our our reputation in the country and maybe even outside this country ha- has been um, one in which we had a, a checkered past, I would just say it that way. And so we did not need to wait longer for, for them to finally focus on there was a problem in Mississippi. And the reason was we all lived together. We're now in a third generation where we have gone to school together. Uh, our, we worship together. Uh, we work together. Um, the Senate is about 30% African-American. We we do all of those things together. So we didn't have, um, I think we've stepped past the things that are going on in Minneapolis and Detroit and Washington. And, and I didn't want to go back to that. I didn't want to see us get to where we where we had some kind of condemnation for for issues past. I don't think that was the right thing to do. And I was very adamant that we had to have a vote, that I thought the people ought to have a vote on their flag. And I also thought it ought to have a God we trust on it. And um, in the end, we were able to draft legislation that included both of those. There'll be no flag in Mississippi until the people of Mississippi vote on it. And I did not want to go through a process in which we gave national or international publicity uh, to matters that I think we have put behind Mississippi. Public health officials on the on the on the local and national levels are are growing more concerned about what this virus could look like in the fall. You, you had to suspend the session once already. Uh, you're looking to wrap it up now, but are. Are you and members of of your body prepared to come into special session uh, if the governor calls on you, if more federal relief money comes and more action needs to be taken to to protect and serve Mississippians? We are. In fact, we will not sign any data day. We have saved. um, We've saved like six or eight days, I think, of the session uh, to come back in October. And, of course, if the governor calls us back before then, we'll quickly come here to appropriate any funds. But we left ourselves some days in October for the first time in the history of Mississippi. We have had a split session, and now we'll have another split one so that if there is additional federal dollars come, and it's an election year for the federal government, so we're always hopeful that they'll that they'll give us an infrastructure bill or give us some relief for our cities and counties that have been suffering so much on their taxes. But whatever, we stand ready to come back before then if the governor calls us. And then we've left five or six days to to come back and look at this um, the $1.2 billion in CARES money that we allocated and make sure that it's been, it's been used and the part that hadn't been used to reallocate it to where people need it. So, um, no, we're, we're anticipating that we may have to come back and have saved days to do so. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Hosman also says the vote to change the flag, while significant, was one of many other strong bipartisan efforts undertaken by the Senate this session, noting specifically the assistance to black business owners as a part of the CARES Act appropriation and the earlier teacher pay raise bill. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, COVID-19 and recent episodes of police violence have revealed systemic disparities for black communities. Part two of our conversation with NAACP President Derek Johnson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org 
or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. I've just been diagnosed with plantar fasciitis. I would like to know how would that affect my walking regimen? So plantar fasciitis is usually pain on the bottom of your heel or the back side of your heel. It's more common on the bottom side. Most people complain about it, particularly early in the day. Uh, as they do move around, it does tend to get better over time. Local things to the area like ice can be helpful. Ibuprofen uh, can be helpful just with the inflammation. It really occurs because of shortening of that fascia. So the fascia attaches to the heel, to the balls of the feet, and it has sort of the spring in our foot. It's like the, what causes the foot to sort of absorb pressure. And you can get inflammation where it attaches to the heel. It is not something like arthritis that is destructive to the bone or the tendons, although it can be incredibly painful. If your goal is to get back to walking, if you haven't gone to physical therapy already, that's one of the things that could be useful. There's a lot of stretching techniques that you can do to that foot. Uh, and there's a lot of other exercises that you can do to help sort of stabilize the foot if you're walking in such a way. Sometimes heel inserts can be helpful or orthotics, which change the way your shoes sort of put your feet in different positions. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The COVID-19 pandemic is hitting communities of color disproportionately hard, amplifying cracks in the healthcare system that leaves many uninsured or underinsured. It has also brought economic hardship on small businesses and rural communities. In part two of his conversation with MPB's Desiree Frazier, NAACP president and CEO Derek Johnson discusses some of the systemic issues challenging black communities. But what we have seen uh, in the midst of this global health crisis is exposure of the of the weakness of our health system uh, across the nation, but particularly in Mississippi. Access to health care has dwindled uh, for all communities as a result of the states uh, refusing to expand uh, the Affordable Care Act, which would have provided uh, greater access, particularly to uh, uh, rural Mississippians. Well, you look at Mississippi, we've had most recently more than 1,000 cases reported in one day. Unfortunately, because we did not put forth the type of rigor and discipline required when you're in the midst of a health global health pandemic, uh, we opened the door for it to get worse. Uh, we, when there's a, a health crisis, we must listen to public health officials, not politicians. And we see the incline of numbers not only in Mississippi, but the sharp incline across the southern landscape because many 
uh, Southern governors uh, refuse to adhere to uh, what medical health professionals uh, were advising. And you, and you, you uh, compare that to what's going on in New York now, their curve is actually flat. They aggress- aggressively attack the issue. They shut down the economy. They focus on the recommendations from public health experts. And the explosion we're seeing across the southern landscape and in Mississippi, we're not seeing in some of the states that they really listen to public health experts and not politicians. So in the midst of this pandemic, we had the killing of George Floyd, which resulted in worldwide protest. Did you expect that kind of response? Because there have been killings of black men before at the hands of officers that have been videotaped. Well, you know, what's unique about the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, uh, the NAACP, we did an economic study in uh, December. We released it of December of 2019, and we talked about conditions in both Minneapolis and St. Paul were at a level in terms of access to economic opportunities for African Americans uh, in that region that that uh, the environment was like a powder keg. It was about to explode at any moment because the anxiety around the lack of opportunities was so great. But when you compound that on top of the last three and a half years of the negative messaging we've been hearing in our political discourse, of uh, the fact that for far too long we have not addressed uh, structural systemic racism, uh, I'm not surprised, uh, particularly when you have on live camera a person who for eight minutes and 46 seconds put, kept their knee on a victim's neck. Uh, despite the outcry from the victim who was handcuffed and laying docile on his stomach, despite the outcry from onlookers who were pleading with the officers that he couldn't breathe, and the callous nature in which that officer murdered George Floyd, I'm not surprised. What I am pleased to see now that with the peaceful protesters, it looked like America. There's young, there's old, there's black, there's white, male, female, People want a different moral center of gravity in how we function as a nation, and they're speaking out uh, for that now. In Mississippi, we've had our own cases where um, officers have allegedly killed um, a black suspect in custody. We had the attorney general said there wasn't enough evidence recently to prosecute an officer who was fired. Um, That was the Ricky Ball case in Columbus. Your thoughts on Mississippi moving forward in this area? I think that was a travesty of justice. Unfortunately, uh, we have not valued the lives of the poor and African-American in this state in far too many cases. Uh, it was unconscionable that the Attorney General didn't carry that case forward. Uh, it's unfortunate, uh, but we must, as a state, uh, you know, come to grips with who we want to be as, and who we are. We need to come to grips and determine, are we going to be the Mississippi of the old or are we going to be the Mississippi looking towards a future where the value of everyone is equal and the administration of justice is just? But how do we make that happen? What is it going to take? It, it takes public policy. It takes actual doing something. You have to go past dialogue. You have to go past breaking bread. You actually have to go towards uh, opportunities so that you not only remove the symbols of the past, 
you you adjust the policy of the past, removing the flag uh, uh, from as a symbol of the state, uh, making sure that we properly support uh, the quality education for all children, ensuring that uh, the way we govern our uh, manage our state budget, it is one that is transparent, fair, and equitable. You can't have those charged with the responsibility of overseeing our programs uh, for the poor, stealing the money, $100 million, stealing the money, and you leave the poor even poorer. Uh, we have to move beyond being a state that, uh, that live off poverty and become a state that tried to grow out of poverty. Derek Johnson is president and CEO of the NAACP. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.